our agenda in our worship, our agenda in our worship. But this week, we're going to talk about our attitude in worship, our attitude. How many of y'all know attitude determines altitude? Amen. Listen, you can, you can face all kinds of things in life, and how you respond is going to be determined by your attitude. Attitude. So how do you know? This young, this, they were doing a test with two young fellas. One was a pessimist, one was an optimist. One, one was, I mean, he was all the time positive about everything. He had a positive attitude. attitude. One young man, he had a negative attitude. attitude. I mean, it was all they did. And they did a test, and they put the negative fella in the room and had it full of toys. I mean, completely from top to bottom full of toys. Uh, left and about two hours later come back all the toys are scattered out and he was sitting in the middle pouting saying I'm bored there's nothing to do well they took the, the, the uh, 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 optimistic young man the positive fellow with an attitude of, uh, a positive attitude put him in a room with a big pile of manure right in the middle of the room they left him for two hours come back there was manure on the ceiling there was manure on the walls there was manure everywhere and this young man was right in the middle of that pile throwing manure everywhere and they said what in the Lord's name are you doing they said with this much manure there's a pony in here somewhere (laughs) I know y'all have heard that a bunch but I like telling it amen I can't help it we need some optimistic people in the house of God amen There is so much negativity going on outside these walls. Dear God, when we come in here, let's be positive. Let's have a right attitude when it comes to the things of God. Amen? Let's look in Luke chapter number 7 and verse number 36. If you're there, say amen. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. The Bible says, And behold, a woman in the city, which was a, a sinner. She was a sinner. She used to be something that nobody wanted to be. She used to be one of a bad reputation. And sometimes uh, sometimes a reputation will, will follow you uh, even past where you used to be. But thank God Jesus knew who she was. One day she had trusted in the Lord. One day she had trusted in Christ and, and came to know Him as her personal Savior. And because of that, her sins were forgiven. The Bible says when she knew that Jesus sat at meeting the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet. Very important. Very important. If you have a Bible that you're allowed to write in, you need to underline where she sat. At his feet stood weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head. And come on, y'all. Y'all got a Bible. If you don't, it's up here on the screen. Here we go. And kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment anointed them with the ointment brother johnny i want you to pray real loud and i want you to ask the lord to to touch the the message touch the skit and help us to receive what we need to receive out of this and you pray as they're getting the skit ready all right can't believe you pulled out in front of that guy. He must have been going 90 miles an hour. What were you thinking? Well, I thought I could make it. Well, that's what you get for thinking. Wow, we're in heaven. I finally get my mansion. Yeah, and I get to see my grandma. I bet it has a big lawn with that John Deere tractor I've always wanted. And I bet my dog Scooter's waiting on me, too. (laughs) You have got to be kidding me, right? Yeah, and I bet mine is bigger than yours, too. What in heaven's name are they doing? I don't know, but it's definitely not anything I've ever seen before. 
They're on the ground. They're going to get all dirty. And it's so embarrassing how they're sitting there like that. <laughs> you can say that again, but please don't. I've got to call my mother. My cell phone. I paid $500 for that phone. I cannot live without my cell phone. Well, uh, you are dead. And whose fault is that? Wow, they must be doing some kind of otherworldly worship ritual. They're really getting into it. But if that's worship, then where's the choir director and the praise team? And I thought for sure there'd be something else, like, I don't know. But look, they're raising their hands. I couldn't do that. What would people think of me? Yeah, and where are the songbooks? I have to be able to read what I'm singing. And I thought for sure there'd be some good banjo picking in heaven. Where are the chairs? I need to sit down. My brother just got saved! What was that? Hey, uh, no one ever got that happy in our church when someone got saved. I'm so glad y'all was here. I love y'all both so much. I wish I could enjoy the celebration. We're in heaven. Yeah, that's worship. Well, give God praise and glory. Amen. You know, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how many things we think we have to have to truly worship. The whole, the whole series this, this, this next uh, week, this week and last week, it's not about worship as we know it, if you might want to put it that way. It's not about, it's not about how, how we grew up with or what we grew up with. But the, the, the subject is about the anatomy of true worship. Say that with me. The anatomy of true worship. What is true worship? I mean, what, what, does, it, what does it mean to, to, to truly worship him in spirit and in truth? The Bible says that Jesus was talking to a woman at a well one day. And, and she began to question the Lord. She began to ask the Lord and, 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 and say, where are we supposed to worship? You know, your people, she was a Samaritan. Uh, she, was, she was somebody uh, who, who, who did not know completely what, what uh, the truth was. And she said, our people say we're supposed to worship in this mountain. But your people say you're supposed to worship in, in Jerusalem. And, 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 but, but what? He said, look, lady, let me tell you something. The time's coming. We're not here nor there. In other words, he was in reference to the body being the temple, amen? That the Holy Spirit, you're going to be worshiping, and God's looking for people to worship in spirit and in truth. Say that with me. Spirit and in truth. I heard a man say one time, and I've said it before because I heard him say it, this fact that, you know, worship that has all Bible and no spirit is a dead service. All right, and it could be dry and it could be boring, but, but services that have all spirit or all emotion and no Bible is, is, is not what we want either, amen? Nothing but emotionalism, but that's not what this is talking about. That's not what this reference is talking about. It says that God is a spirit, capital S, talking about the Holy Spirit, all right? He is a spirit and must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. The first word spirit is there is little s. That is talking about our spirit, our spirit. Preacher, what are you talking about? In the Old Testament, all the way back in the beginning, the Bible says, God said, let us, Trinity, let us, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. You say, uh, but, but Jesus didn't come around till the New Testament. Jesus always has been and always will be. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Later on, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus always has been and always will be. It's always been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. That's why they said, let us make man in our image. What is their image? A trinity. There's three major parts of the body. There's three major joints in every finger, in your arm. Listen, God made us a trinity. God made us body, soul, and spirit. It's very important that we understand that. God said, in the day that you eat of the fruit, 
you shall surely die. But was he talking about the body? No. No. Why? Because Abraham, li- or excuse me, Adam lived many, 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 many years after that. He, did, he was not talking about his body. Was he talking about his soul? Nope. Wasn't talking about his soul. Because the Bible says when man, or God breathed into man the breath of life, they became a living soul, which means a never dying soul. When God, he made man in the dust of the ground and formed him like he wanted him, he got down on his nostrils and breathed life into him and invested a part of himself into every human being. That'll preach right there, amen. In other words, God put something of himself in every human being that will never die. That is your soul. But God said, the day ye eat of it, you shall surely die. Did their body die? No, he was still standing there. Did their soul die? No, it could not die. What died their spirit? See, your body is, your body is where you contact other people. You make contact with other people with your body. They can't see your soul. They can't hear your soul. They can't feel your soul. They can see your body. They can hear your body. They can touch you. Listen, they, you make contact with others with your body. You make contact with yourself with your soul. You make contact with God through your spirit. That's why when they sinned in the garden, their spirit died. And God said, Adam! They were hiding in the garden because it was broken. Their sin had died. That part which connected them with God had died. So what are you saying? Your body responds to the five senses. Your body responds to hearing, smelling, tasting, touch. Uh, what's the other one? Feeling. Feeling. All right. Let's see. Sight. That's it. That's it. Sight. Sight, taste, touch, hearing, smelling. That's what your body responds to. That's the stimulus that your body responds to. Your soul responds to understanding. Your soul responds to logic. Your, your soul responds to explanation. That is the seat of your emotions, your soul. Y'all with me? That's why you see some people that are cold. There are some people that have no humor. They have, they have no expression. They're, they're totally broke. They're totally cold inside, but their body can respond to the other. But their soul is cold. But your spirit... Your spirit that the Bible says that God gave you and made you with in the very beginning when he made man. Your spirit is what the only thing that it is stimulated by is truth. Truth. That's why you can sing a touchy-feely song and have tears in everybody's eyes. But it still not stir the spirit. There are some people that can go down the road and hear a song on the radio and say, oh, that's just such a good song. You know why? Because it made them cry. It touched their emotions. It touched their soul. But if it was not truth, it will do nothing for your spirit. Are y'all with me? I know we're treading a little deeper water than we normally, but stay with me. Some of us need to grow up a little bit. We need to get off the milk and start chewing on the meat. It's very important that you understand there's a difference between soul and spirit. The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to discern. It's able to divide asunder between soul and... So many of us can't tell the difference between what's soulish and what's spiritual. We can't tell the difference. We think anything that stirs our emotions, anything that stirs that in us, we hear that touchy-feely song, and we think, oh, that's a great godly song, and it have no truth whatsoever in it. Where your soul may be touched, but your spirit is not stimulated. But you can come into the hearing of the Word of God, and the Word of God be taught, and the Word of God be preached. And listen, it may not touch your emotions, but it'll sure touch your spirit, and it'll change your life forever. Your spirit. Listen, listen, you know, if you didn't, listen, your soul is what causes you to cry when old yeller dies. Are y'all with me? And if you didn't cry when old yeller died, you're a communist. Say amen. Now y'all getting what I'm saying? It's not about, I don't care how good the music flows or how good the, and all that. If it doesn't touch your spirit, it's not truth. But because the only thing that will touch your spirit is truth. And that's what God was trying to say at that well. We must worship in spirit and in truth. We must worship by submitting to truth. Are y'all with me? So why did you say all that? Because you need to understand that before you can understand what I'm fixing to tell you. 
the first time the word worship was ever mentioned in the Bible, Genesis 22.5. Genesis 22.5, there was a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham, he, he, listen, he was, he, was, he was called out by God to be a separate people. He was given a promise from God and said, look, I'm going to make your seed as the sand of the, or, uh, as the, sand of the sea. They're going to be as the stars of the sky. And he didn't he have no children. I mean, he was barren, didn't have any children. And God gave him a promise and said, uh, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless them that bless you. I'm going to curse them that curse you. And I'm telling you, everything's going to be great with your life. Well, the blessing finally came. I'm talking about the, the blessing of God, the promise of God, and a little boy by the name of Isaac. Isaac shows up on the scene. Isaac is the, listen, he is the apple of Abraham's eye. He is everything that Abraham ever wished for and dreamed for. I mean, he is the son. He's a chip off the old block. I'm telling you, it, all Abraham looked for when he got up in the morning was to get to see Isaac. Isaac, and as he run around and played in the yard, he sat there as a proud father and as a proud papa, thanking God every single day of his life of that great blessing that God gave him in his son Isaac. And then one day God called him. God said, Abraham, I need you to do something. No problem, Lord. Man, as good as you've been to me, I tell you what, thank you, Lord, for all your blessings on me. Thank you for my boy. Thank you for my blessings. Thank you for all of the things. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, what, what do you need me to do? He says, I need you to take your boy. I need you to go to a certain place. I need you to take some rocks. I need you to take some wood. And I need you to set them rocks up like a stone altar. Put that wood as a fire. Cut your son's throat and offer him to me as a burnt sacrifice. Abraham gets everything together. He begins to put it all together. The Bible says, I don't see where he told his mama. His mama probably wouldn't have let it happen or tried to fight it to happen, so he didn't even tell her. And he went and got Isaac together, got the wood together, got all the stuff together, and, and here we go. We're headed to that place. And I can imagine this. I can imagine everything going through Abraham's mind. Abraham was probably thinking, Oh, God, can you do something else? Oh, God, would you please? Lord, let me, let me, I'll get up on that altar. Let me do it. I, let me, I, listen, just sacrifice me. Just take me, Lord. Just don't take, I, you say, how do you know that? Because I'm a daddy. I'm a daddy. I, 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 I would have said, Lord, anything but this, anything but this. Uh, Lord, I, I, I want your will to be done, but God, let me, take me, take me. I don't have any, just Lord, please. Y'all with me? And I can imagine his thoughts. And all of a sudden, I mean, every day that went by, he dreaded and he looked and he saw the place. And he told the servants, you, you stay right here. Because the servants would have probably thought he had lost his mind. And they'd have probably stopped him or tried to stop him from doing what God told him to do. And he said, boys, you just stay here. This is what the verse says. And Abraham said unto his young men, abide ye here with the ass. Now watch this and read it with me. And I and the lad, read it with me, everybody, come on now. And I and the lad will go yonder and worship. The very first mention of the word worship in the whole Bible is right here. And what is Abraham doing? He's fixing to kill his son. He's fixing to give Everything that meant anything to him, to God. Now, we know the story. Some of y'all that don't know the Bible and don't know the story, Isaac come out okay. Because when they got to the top of the mountain, God provided a lamb or God provided a ram, which was a, a sign and a typology of Jesus taking our place. Amen. But this is the point. This is the point. True worship, say that with me, it's not about how good you can sing on this platform. True worship is not about how loud you sing in the pew. True worship is not determined by whether you raise your hands or not. True worship is not determined by how loud you pray or how much you pray. That's not determined by what you do. You say, does that mean we don't have to do that? No, that means you do have to do that. Because the Bible commands to do that. 
says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It says make a joyful noise unto the Lord all your name. It says raise your hands before God. It says all of those things. But you can do all of those things and not the main thing in it, not be worship. So how do you know? Because there's people in, in Hindu and Buddhist temples that are doing the same thing. But it's not true worship. There are people that are in false temples and, and, and bowing down to idols and, and false gods, but it's not true worship. Well, preacher, what in the world constitutes true worship? This word worship, this word worship, Abraham said, I'm going. I'm going to this mountain. I'm going, me and the lads going yonder, and we're going for the purpose of worshiping. I am worshiping God. You say, what is he doing? That word worship means to bow, to prostrate, to bend. It means that he is bowing to truth. He is bowing to the word of God. God said, Abraham, do such and such. And in his worship, he said, I am bowing down. I am submitting to the word of God. Preacher, what are you getting at? Where do we find this woman? Where do we find this woman? She stood at his feet. She stood at his feet, which was a sign of submission. What are you saying? I'm saying this. When you come to this house, when you come to the house of God, we have to come with a right attitude. And the right attitude is this. It's an attitude of submission. Say that with me. Number one, it's an attitude of submission. It is a submissive attitude. It's not about me. It's not about my desires. It's not about my wants. It's not about what I I crave or I desire. God, it's about you. Lord, I am submitting to your word. I am submitting to what you say. I don't sing loud because I feel like it. I don't raise my hand because I feel like it because sometimes I don't feel like it. I don't sing and praise God all the time because I feel like it because sometimes I'm sick and I don't feel good. I'm singing because he commanded me to sing. I'm singing because he told me to. I'm coming to the house of God and I'm bowing down to him because he has commanded to me and true worship is bowing to truth and that's what it means to worship in spirit and in truth what are you saying? I'm saying this God cares as much about what you do outside of these walls as much as you do inside of these walls this woman came to his feet this woman came to his feet and submitted. She said, your Lord, your Lord. How many of us are coming and saying, God, I'm submitting to your word. I don't care what that preacher says. If it's in the Bible, Lord, if you're saying it, I'm submitting to you. I'm willing to do what you want. I'm willing to quit those habits. I'm willing to change my ways. I'm willing to obey your word. I'm submitting to you. I don't care if you can sing like a mockingbird. I don't care if you know all the ritual. I don't care if you know all the routine. If you walk through those doors with something you know God is speaking to you about and God's telling you to quit or God's telling you to start or God's telling you to change. Listen up, everybody. Pay attention this way. And God's telling you to do. And you walk through that door. And you say, well, I'm going to play this church thing. And you don't have a submissive attitude. You're wasting your time. Submissive attitude. Listen, God doesn't play games. You have to make him Lord, not just in the house, but he's got to be Lord in the yard. He's got to be Lord at the schoolhouse. He's got to be Lord this and down the road. He's got to be Lord around your friends, not just around the church people. Submissive attitude. I went back. Let, let, me, let, me, let me turn over here real quickly. Let me turn over here real quickly to... The story. How many of y'all remember me talking about David dancing before the Lord? Yeah, y'all got a kick out of that, didn't you? My wife sat there and said, oh, God, don't do it, Malcolm. Don't do it. When I said that, she didn't know what I was fixing to do. Scared her to death. God took me back to that same chapter in the Old Testament. And, 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 and what God showed me was so, so much more important than when he was dancing before the Lord, Brother Chris. He said, Malcolm, go back and read a few verses before what you quoted. See, this was not the first time David tried to bring the ark home. 
And Scott, I told you earlier, I didn't realize, I didn't realize, as many times I read it, I don't know why I didn't, but I never realized that Saul never was in possession of the ark. King Saul. The Philistines stole it before he ever came into, into uh, uh, reigning, and he never, but he never had a desire to go get it, which probably tells why he was the type of king he was. But the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, and his first order of business when he came to the throne, he said, it's time to bring the ark home, boys. He knew the importance of the symbolic presence of God in that ark. And this was not the first time, as we read last week, that David danced before the Lord and and played before the Lord and worshipped God when his wife got mad at him. Y'all remember? Well, God said, go read the first part of the chapter. Well, this is what happened. According to the Bible, uh, David went to fetch the ark to bring it to him. To bring it to where he was because it was so important to have that symbolic presence of God with him. And he went and the Bible says they put it on a new cart. Brother Scott, they put it on a new cart. And they had them oxen. They were, boy, they was having a big time. They were singing. They was praising. They had the worship team out there. I mean, the praise team was out there doing their thing. I mean, they had all the instruments and they were going at it. I mean, having a big time. And they got to a certain place. And listen, the cart shook. And it looked like the ark was going to fall. And one of them in the cart reached out and grabbed it. And God killed them. I mean, they're having a church service. I mean, this is a camp meeting service. They are going after shouting, praising God, glorifying God. And everything looks good from our viewpoint. But God stopped the whole thing. So, oh, us shouldn't have done that. No, everything rises and falls on. Who was the leader? David. God said, keep reading. And I went back deeper into the Old Testament. And according to the word of God, when they designed and made that ark, God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put four rings, <coughs> excuse me, I want you to put four rings around that, around that, that ark, and I want you to take uh, wooden poles, call them staves, and I want you to take those staves, and I want you to overlay them with gold. Mitch, they were to take those staves and run it through those rings, and four men were to take on one corner on each corner and bear it up on their shoulder. And they had appointed men designated to take that ark and to carry it. That was their responsibility, to carry that ark. That was the way God said to do it. That was God's command. He said, I want it done this way. Well, according to the Bible, when the Philistines came and stole the ark, the Bible says they put it on a cart. And they took it. And when they sent it back, because God whooped them for doing it, they sent it back on a new cart. What's the point? David knew better. The Philistines were heathen. They didn't know any better. They didn't know any different. But David was a man after God's own heart. David was an Israelite. David knew the word. He knew the law. He knew better. And he tried to worship his own way. He tried to do it like the heathen did it. And God said, I'm not going to stand for this. I will be worshipped and held in honor. You're not going to do it any other way but the way I say it. And I can prove it. Because the second time around, Son, God stopped the whole church service. But then the next time, the next time, David sent it to a person's house and said, just keep it there. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what. And I believe David went home and I believe he got a lesson. He said, David, you know better. You know what should have done. Now watch this. And it was told, verse 12, and it was told King David saying, the Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom. And that's where David sent it. And all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Watch this. And it was so that when they that... Okay, all right, all seven of us. Here we go. And it was so that when... Stop. Ain't no oxen here. You don't find no cart this time. I believe David said, boys, we've done it wrong. This time, we're going to do it right. What did he do? What, 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 what is this a sign of? God said, I want it a certain way. And David said, okay, Lord. I'm submitting to your way. What's the point? Everybody thinks they got an opinion about what worship is or what we should do. But God's saying, it's about what I say, 
And it's about what I want. True worship. What kind? It's all about submitting to his word. What does that mean? You at home watching pornography on the internet. And you come in here and you think you're going to make up for it by singing Amazing Grace. You're wasting your time. Because true worship is more about doing right at home than it is singing loud at church. There are people that try to separate. I know. I know, y'all. This this ain't no shouting time like last week. I know. We had the ice cream last week. Today is the broccoli. (laughs) Spinach. God help us. I don't care. Popeye was lying. Spinach is nasty. (laughs) You know what? We try to, people try to separate the spiritual from the secular. In other words, this is my, this is my world person and this is my church person. Let me use the words of coon hunters. That dog ain't going to hunt. You cannot separate the spiritual from the secular. It's all the same. What we do out there is as critical of importance as what we do in here. And what we do out there cannot be any different than what we do in here. Preacher, what are you saying? If people see a different you out there than they do in here, you're a big hypocrite. And you're causing more damage to the cause of Christ than anybody can. You know one of the biggest problems I've had witnessing to people is this problem. Well, I've seen so-and-so and he's up there in the choir singing, but I saw him on Monday. Mm-hmm. Hey, the Bible says judgment should start at the house of God first. We need to get our act together. Because it don't matter, Miss Sheila, it don't matter if we fill this building slam full of people and fill that choir slam full of people and sing like no other. If we come in, our hearts are not right and we're not submitted to God and what he says to do. We're wasting our time. Submissive attitude. Well, God understands. He knows that. And let me say this. I'm not saying we have to be perfect. I'm not saying that because God knows, I know I ain't never going to be perfect, but I'm sure trying. You see the difference? Sinners are not perfect. They're just working on it. Are y'all with me? Look, y'all, y'all loosen up now. It's going to get a lot tighter than this here in a minute. Y'all might as well loosen up. You're going to bust something. Well, I can make up for it. I'll just... I'd just get more in the offering, or I'd just, man, I got, I got a verse for you. Samuel. I mean, y'all remember a king named Saul. Saul? Some of y'all still like me, amen. Saul, he's the first king of Israel. God told him, God told him, he said, I want you to go to the Amalekites, I want you to destroy everything. I mean everything. Every person, every, the king, everybody, all the animals, everything, I want you to destroy it. Well, they went in there, and they did everything but. Now, you can do everything but, and that's disobedience. 99% truth is still a lie. Well, Saul didn't kill the king. He didn't destroy the king, and he kept all of the best animals. Well, when he did that, the Bible says that Samuel came. Samuel came. And by the way, too, if you mess around on God and play around on God, there's always going to be a Samuel that's going to come. God sent Samuel, and, and, and Samuel said, Saul, what is this bleeding? I, what is it? What is sounds of these animals? What, didn't God tell you to destroy everything? What's this I hear back here? And Saul said, oh, 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 it, hey, that ain't nothing, man. Ain't no big thing. Saul said unto Samuel, yeah, I've obeyed God. I did what God said to do, and I've gone the way which the Lord sent me. 
But I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, and by the way, too, when we get out of joint with God, we're always going to blame somebody else. The people took of the spoiled sheep and oxen and the chief things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord. The only reason we did it was we wanted to give it to God. It's kind of like saying, Lord, if you'll let me win the lottery on it, I'll tithe. Like, that's going to make everything okay. Like, like, Lord, this might be a little bit of sin. Lord, I'm, 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 I'm cheating on my taxes or I'm doing this, but Lord, I'll give on it. Like, God's going to say, oh, okay. He said, he said, we just did it to sacrifice. We just did it to worship. We just did it. We kept the best because we wanted to give God the best. We just used it because we wanted to worship. God, I know we didn't do what you said to do out there, but we're going to make up for it by giving it to you in here. Watch what God says. Next verse. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in... Or, or, or what? Which means we're doing what to it? Submitting. Behold. Saul, that word behold means to get a grip. You better grip what I'm fixing to tell you. Behold to... Is than you know what that says? It says it doesn't matter how good you can sing or preach or teach or wave your hands, God would rather you stay sober than shout loud. God would rather you stay at home with your wife than come in here and put on a show. God would rather you turn the computer off and have a holy life than to come in here and put $10,000 in the offering. You know why? Because true worship to him is obedience, not sacrifice. We all feeling it today? Say amen. amen. See, we're talking about true worship. We're going beyond the surface. We're going beyond the norm. We're going beyond the traditional. We're going to a final frontier. Amen. Where most churches ain't willing to go because they want to keep people coming. And don't get me wrong. I want to keep people coming too. But I'm not here to draw a crowd. I'm here to develop disciples. And if we're going to come, we're going to obey him. I sing because he commanded me to. I, I praise because he commanded me to. I do the things that God wants me to do. Listen, I dress modest because God commanded it to. I'm submitting to his word. And isn't it funny? God's saying your behavior outside the church is as much worship as the song you sing in the church. When you dress modestly and biblically, you're worshiping. When your, your talk is seasoned with salt, when you speak with reverence and respect, you're worshiping. When you get out in the rain and help somebody with a flat tire because you want to serve them and be Christ in front of them, you're worshiping. Well, I'm going to get to church to worship. Now you worship all the way there. Worship is submitting to truth. Help me say amen. Amen. Worship is not just submitting to truth. But watch this. We not only need a submissive attitude. Say it with me. Number one, a submissive attitude. But we need a selfless attitude. Selfless attitude. What does that mean? It means we have got to get to the place when it comes to... Did y'all notice? Did y'all notice these guys? Did y'all notice these guys? Help me, help me, help me. Where's my phone? Where's my songbook? Oh, well, where's my, well, where's my, see, it was still about them. 
it was still about them. But when Jesus steps on the scene, it ceases to be about us. It ceases to be about us. Now watch this. Now watch this. David is dancing in that same chapter. David is dancing in that same chapter. All right, he comes. He comes, and here it is. They got things right. They're bearing it like they're supposed to do it. They're doing it the way God said to do it. And here they come marching into the city. Here they come marching in, and they say, hey, hey, as they're singing, as they're praising, as they're playing the instruments, and they're dancing before the Lord. I'm talking about it is happening. All the people are excited. All the people are there, and they are serving God, and they are worshiping God, and they are glorifying God, and man, they're having a big time. David is playing his instruments with all of his might. He has taken off his kingly robe. He is there with the common people, if you want to use that terminology, and he comes into the city, but there was somebody looking through a window with her arms crossed. It was David's wife. Say, what's the point of that? See, she had been a princess her whole life. She had been a king's daughter. She never knew about the poverty of being a shepherd boy. She never knew the things about the common life. And she had her dignified face on, her dignified princess robe, and listen to kingly queen's garment. She had all of these things on, and she thought that David was undignified by showing himself, by dressing like the common people. It wasn't that he was naked, it was that he had the clothing that they had on. And this is her problem. This is her problem. You're a king. You need to start acting like a king. You need to walk like a king and dress like a king. You need to be. But what David said to her, I believe with all of my heart, David got real with her. He said, honey, let me tell you something. Before I was ever a king, I was a shepherd boy on the side of the hills in Judea. Before I ever had the anointing oil on my head, I was a nobody on the side of a hill somewhere. And God, my father, came to me and touched me right where I was and called me into the ministry. And he made me what I am today before I ever sat on a throne God came to me and he said I want you to know this I don't care where I'm at I don't care if I got a king's robe on I don't care if I'm sitting right on the palace throne I'm going to give him glory he's going to know who I am nobody's going to doubt or understand it was God that made me what I am today she said didn't you just show yourself he said honey I'm going to do more than that I'm going to be more vile than thus. He said this, I am not worried about my pride. You keep your pride. I'm going to give God glory. He's not about me. David said, I was dancing before the Lord. He said, I didn't care about them. I didn't care. I didn't care about who was watching. I didn't care about who saw me. I didn't care about what robe I had on. I didn't care whether I had the crown on my head. I didn't care about none of that. It was before the Lord. You know what will help you raise your hand in church? You know what will help you get to the place you can say amen? Is when you forget there's anybody else in the building but you and him. <laughs> oh, some of them out there. Oh, God, he's going to have a heart attack. Oh, Don't worry about me. It's just me and him. What I do is before the Lord. David said, I ain't got no audience but him. I don't have any audience but him. Look here. I want you to see this. When we get to the place, well, I want to sing up there. I want to sing a solo. You know what you're saying? I want everybody to see me. Well, I I, I don't want to. I don't want to help nobody park a car. I want to be on the platform. Well, that's the last place you need to be. Well, I won't, I won't, I won't. That's the problem. It's about you. And John said this. I must decrease, but he must. (laughs) When I first got here. We may have to edit this part, Brother Dorgan. 
there was a fellow wanted to be a deacon bad and 99 and three quarters percent of the time if you want to be a deacon you don't need to be a deacon and boy it just burned him up when he realized he wasn't going to be no deacon you know why because he wanted power had a small handful of people just a handful of people johnny but he wanted to be on some board thought to myself i'll give you a board <laughs> and you know what when he realized that he wasn't going to be on it he left that's what i said <laughs> twice amen <laughs> You know what he did? Went to a place, little bitty people, just a handful of people, where he could be the big frog in the puddle. But see, what happens is when the puddle gets growing, the big frog ain't real big when the puddle gets bigger. And see, what happens in this place is we're growing and we're moving. Those people that want to be the big frog, they can't stand it. You know why? It's not about them. Martha. You remember Martha? I'll say this and we're done. <clears throat> Martha and Mary had two different personalities. And 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 here we see, here we see. Martha and Mary. Now, Mary is always, every time you see Mary, she's right here. At Jesus' feet. I mean, she's And Mary's there at his where? Feet, which is a sign of worship and submission. Martha. I got my cornbread, my pinto beans, and my no ham. They're Jews, no ham. Amen. Um, my grits. Amen. They got to have grits. And she, I mean, she got sweat pouring off of her. Ladies, are you with me? I went, I went in the, in the kitchen between services and those ladies back there cooking back there and just going around don't ever bother them when they're doing that it's a very dangerous place to be amen don't ask me how i know that amen and she looks over and she sees she sees mary and she comes over to jesus and say hey how about a little help can't you see what I'm doing? I'm working hard. The Bible says she was cumbered about with much serving. Now, what was Mary doing? Worshiping. What was Martha doing? No. She was worshiping too. But she was doing it her way. Mary was doing it her way, which it just happened to be the right way. But Martha was worshiping too. Martha was showing Jesus that, hey, I care about you. I want to be a blessing to you. I want to do good for you. I love you because there are some people that show love by service. And she was worshiping, but she was doing it her way. What's the point? There are so many churches that are full of people that want it their way. They come, they want to worship, they want to show God that they love, but they want to do it their way. And any time God turns the card upside down, any time God does it a little different than what they say it ought to be done, then they're going to have problems. And every time I've seen somebody that was selfish in worship because it wanted it their way, they always became critical about what somebody else was doing. I'm preaching way better than y'all shouting right now. (laughs) 
critical people are out of sort. I've never heard or read where Mary was critical. You know why? Every place you find Mary was at his. Somebody with a submissive heart is not critical. Why? Because submissive submission gives up authority. Submission gives up rights. Y'all getting this? This is good. A slave has no rights. They have anything. They just do what they're told to do. They do what their master tells them to do. And when you come and you submit to God, you don't care what he says to do. You're just glad to be there. You never find Mary critical because she was submissive. So how do you know Martha wasn't? Because there was another time. There was another situation we read about. Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus get sick and dies. And God allows him to die because Jesus wants to show them that he is something more than what they think he is. And he gets into the city. He comes in and, listen, word gets into the, the, the mourning process in the house that Jesus is outside. And Martha runs to him and says, man, if you'd have been here, my brother had not died. He's going to be okay. Well, I know he's going to be okay in the resurrection. Honey, I am the resurrection. Hmm. But then another person comes out the house. Her name is Mary. And according to the word of God, she comes and falls at his Well, what'd she say? The same thing her sister said. Boy, if you'd have been here, he'd have made it. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And this is his response. Boy, I love this. Okay, just take me to him. Where's he at, honey? Come on, just take me to Where's he at? Take me where he is. Martha came like this. Man, if you'd have been, same thing, same thing. But one come bowed and the other come bent. How are you coming this morning? I don't know why I'm not feeling anything. Could be that you need to do these two things right here. A, you need to swallow your pride. You know, there's a there's hundred preachers that want to do what we're doing right now at Temple Baptist Church, but they won't do it to save their life because they can't swallow their pride. Calling me, what are y'all doing? How y'all doing that? Sat and had lunch or dinner, me and Brother Scott, with a, with a young man who sat there drooling over what's happening here at Temple. In a place that's struggling, having a difficult time. I'm talking about having a difficult time. And everybody in the world has called him to say, do you know what Malcolm's doing over there? Have you heard what Malcolm's doing? Did he not say that? God is my witness. I said, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. And this is what God's doing. This is what God's doing. And boy, I could see the look in his eye. You know what? There has to come a day that you don't care what nobody says. That you're going to do what God says. There's going to come a day. And I know he's in here somewhere because I heard him a while ago. Dad, where you at? Did he go out? All right, good. I can say it. See, that's anointed. That's God right there. God sent him to check the barbecue. Amen. I'm, I'll, Bo, I tell him. I'll say it in front of him. Amen. Oh, the speakers are, hello, Dad. I'm glad you're listening to me out there. Hey, man. Uh, we need to turn them off, Brother Dorgan. When God first started leading me to do the changes that we were making around here and the adjustments and so forth and so on, he wasn't hip on it. And he'll tell you. 
I just don't see how that's going to work. I just don't know how that, I, I tell you what, I, I don't know about that. I, 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 and I was trying my best to talk him into it and convince him that God was telling me to do this. And it come to this, well, Dad, I just got to do what I got to do. And you know what his response was? You sure do. He said, we're not going to argue about it. We just, I just disagree, but you, you do what God, and, that, and he meant it with all his heart. You don't do anything you think that God, you do what God's telling you to do. It don't matter what I say. And last Sunday, he come up, I don't know if anybody's seen it, but last Sunday, he come up while we were in worship and had tears dripping off his face and hugged my neck and said, I am so proud of you for what's happening in this place. The point I'm making is this. Sometime even your own family is not going to agree with what you're doing. I'm talking about if you're following God, but it cannot be about you. And the only way we can do that is swallow our pride. I remember, I remember, can I just have a minute? I got 44 seconds. Okay. I remember there was a day that I didn't want Dr. Brown's where I went to Bible college. I didn't want him coming till we filled it up. And I didn't. I didn't invite him to come. I didn't have him come till we had our dedication service in this building and had it slammed to the gills. And that was a little bit of pride because I wanted to look successful. I wanted to look like a graduate that went out and done something right. But there came a day in my ministry where God said, okay, I need you to do this. And the first thought, what's Dr. Brown going to think about that? What's the boys at the college going to think about? What's all my friends going to think about taking this step? Well, what's that going to do to my reputation? And it did, by the way. But just like Jehu, who was run out of town until they needed him. The outlaw will become the sheriff. And some of y'all get that in a minute. What would that do to my reputation? That's what I was thinking. What, what would that do to my reputation? And God said this. Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. See, one day he walked on streets of gold. One day he had a reputation of being the prince of princes and the king of kings. One day his reputation was this, Brother Mitch, that he walked in palaces of gold. But he made himself, humbled himself, and became a nobody. Did y'all get that? The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the majestic God of the universe became a nobody. Until you're willing to become a nobody. Until you are willing to get to the place where your reputation does not matter. True worship will never take place. Until you're willing to swallow your pride. And not only that, but surrender your preference. And say, God, it's not about what I want. There was a man in the Bible by the name of Jesus. Y'all ever heard of him? He nailed in a garden one day. And he says, Father, I know all things are possible with thee. I, I know all things are possible. Lord, if there be any way, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But not my, not my will. You know, that blew my mind when I read it this week. That tells me Jesus had a separate will, a different will than the Father. Did y'all get that? Lord, I want this to happen. I want this to take place. Lord, I, I, please let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. Have you come to that place in your life where it's not about you? That your attitude is a submissive attitude. It is a selfless attitude. 
And you empty yourself of all that you are. And as David emptied himself of his significance, he took off that kingly robe. He becomes everybody. And I'm glad when you come into this house, you don't come educated or uneducated. You don't come high class or low class. You just come as sinners forgiven. The ground is level at the cross. But I hope we understand we got to have a right attitude. An attitude of worship. Church, say amen. amen. Father, in Jesus' name, God help us with our attitude.